Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you that uh, we have this time today that uh, you have given us this Lord's Day so that we can join together to worship you. I thank you that you've allowed us this time here in the morning to um, consider some of your attributes today as we look at your eternity and your immutability. I pray that these will be um, that these will help us to truly get a sense of your majesty of who you are and that this would uh, help us as we go into worship that we would worship you uh, brightly and in the manner that you deserve and father i pray that uh, you will allow me help me to speak with clarity and uh, teach truth here this morning and that uh, the those who are here listening will be able to understand and appreciate these things better. I ask that you be with us and thank you for all of the many ways that you've blessed us, all of us here. Um, Be with us as we worship you today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So um, I do apologize that I've kept uh, missing so many... uh, weeks already, but hopefully this will be the last time for a while that I have to miss a Sunday during this uh, teaching series. But two weeks ago, um, we, st- we started looking at the uh, incommunicable attributes listed in our catechism question. Does anyone remember that term incommunicable attributes and want to give a quick definition of it? Right. There's, these are attributes that are true of God that humans don't have even a semblance of. And so um, two weeks ago, we looked at the infinity of God. So today we're going to look at uh, the next two. We'll spend a little less time on them just because they, they go together so much. So um, looking, you know, what we said about God's infinity, a lot of that translates as well to uh, the next two or, or, or makes them, you know, logically necessary. Um, but uh, before we get started, let's just introduce them by uh, going over the catechism question. It's question seven in the, the Baptist catechism. What is God? God has a spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, All right, thank you. So the next two attributes, the ones we'll be considering today, are the eternity and the unchangeability, or more commonly called immutability, of God. As I mentioned previously, uh, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable are incommunicable attributes of God, meaning that they are attributes which no other being uh, shares in in any way. Um, God is infinite, eternal, and unchangeable. We are the exact opposite of those things. We are finite. Uh, we were, there was a time we didn't exist, so we're not eternal. Um, and we change all the time. Um, now, the remaining attributes in the list in the uh, catechism answer, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth, remember, are called communicable attributes because we as creatures 
do have these things to varying degrees and in very imperfect ways. Um, but if you consider the grammar of the catechism's answer, um, infinity, eternity, and unchangeability are being used here as descriptive of those communicable attributes as well as descriptive of the being of God entirely. So God is infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being. He's also infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. Um, but as we're going through, uh, just like last time when we were looking at the infinity of God, when we look at the etern- eternity and immutability of God today, we'll be considering them with respect to his being. Um, but understand, of course, when we get to looking at the uh, remaining attributes, the communicable ones starting next time, um, that God is infinitely, eternally, and unchangeably all of those things as well. Um, so, um, you know, remember as we uh, went over in our first lesson in this series, God's attributes are his being and his being is all of his attributes. And so whatever's true of his being is true of everything that is true of him. Um, now, when we come to the eternity of God, affirming the eternity of God from Scripture is not difficult. There are a lot of passages which state it explicitly. There's really no, nothing in Scripture that would give us confusion about this. It's just it's something that conceptually is really hard for us as finite creatures and as uh, creatures that live in time to really understand uh, but you have plenty of passages which state it uh, explicitly in Scripture. So Psalm 90 verse 2 says, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting you are God. So this phrase, from everlasting to everlasting, is repeated several times in Scripture, most notably four times in the Psalms. And it raises an important distinction between God and uh, Creatures who have immortality but are not eternal. So our souls are immortal. Um, God is, He created our souls at a point in time so they didn't exist from eternity, but they will continue to exist into eternity future. Um, and our bodies, they, they'll die, but they'll be resurrected later. Um, and so our souls and our bodies will live forever. But unlike God, there was a time when our bodies and souls uh, didn't exist. Before we were conceived, they did not exist. Um, when Genesis 1-1 says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, um, that's when all the things that are not God came into being. Before that, there was nothing besides God in existence. Now, while we're not told when the angelic beings were created, we know that they did not exist from eternity past. So, uh, most theologians have traditionally held that angels were created on the first day. They were part of the heavens which God created then on the first day. So creatures can be too everlasting, but only God is both from everlasting and too everlasting. Now this also necessarily follows from the aseity of God. Remember we talked about that. Uh, someone real quick want to see if uh, they remember what aseity means. Self-existent, yes. So God exists from himself. He has no source outside of himself. He just is. 
And so he can't have had a beginning. Um, he can't have had a, a creator. Um, someone, uh, I'll have, I haven't done this so far, but I'm going to ask y'all to actually flip to some passages of Scripture and read them. Can someone go to Revelation 1.8, please, and read that? Now, this, um, this truth of God's eternity, it's a, it's a dreadful thing for the wicked. Um, because God is eternal, his judgment will never cease. Uh, Revelation 14.11 says, The smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night, these worshipers of the beast and its image, and whoever receives the mark of its name. As for those who do not repent and believe the gospel... There will be no hope for escaping this punishment. Um, now, I didn't mention this uh, in the, the last lesson, but it probably would have been a, a good point to raise there, so I'll raise it now. Um, the justice of eternal punishment is predicated upon the infinitude of God. So just like a, high rank, or a crime against a high-ranking government official is more heinous than a uh, crime committed against a common citizen... Any crime committed against the infinite God is infinitely heinous. And so if we, you know, when people think that eternal torment is disproportional to our sins that we commit in this life, what they're neglecting is the infinitude of the one who is offended by those sins. So the infinity of God and the eternity of God, it's a terrible thing for the wicked but it shouldn't be a terrible thing for those of us who believe. Although it should motivate us to make our calling and our election sure. But for believers, the eternity of God really should be a source of comfort. Because God is eternal and he's created us to be immortal. We have this privilege of dwelling with him forever in his eternal kingdom. And this is something we should be uh, happy about, joyful about, and be looking forward to. And um, we should remember from this that uh, all of our afflictions in this life are merely temporary, while the crown of glory is everlasting. Um, could someone read First Peter five four? Thank you. And um, someone else, can someone read 2 Corinthians 4, 17, and then someone else be flipping to Psalm 16, 11. But if someone gets to 2 Corinthians 4, 17, go ahead and read that one. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. All right. And Psalm 16, 11. You make known to me the path of life in your presence. Mm -hmm. So the eternity of God is something that should bring great joy and um, it should cause us to be really thinking about uh, not worrying about the things in this life, but thinking about 
uh, things of eternity because it's going to infinitely outweigh any kind of displeasure that we have in this life. And so we should take joy then in serving our eternal God regardless of what we have to deal with here in this temporary time on earth. And so the wicked, they enjoy the pleasure of sin only temporarily, but their torment will be never-ending. On the other hand, the godly will enjoy suffering only temporarily, but our perfect happiness will be everlasting. Uh, and then can someone read First John two fifteen to 17? Do not love the world, the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, and the desires of the eyes, and the pride and possessions, is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Thank you. So our thoughts shouldn't be occupied with the things of this life. We should, as much as possible, be seeking to occupy our minds with thoughts of eternity and of our eternal God and of the eternal joy that we will enjoy with Him. Um, Thoughts of eternal torment shouldn't trouble us, but they should motivate us to seek to uh, to strengthen our assurance and to put to death those sins which cause our assurance to be afflicted as well as to be um, concerned about those around us and and preach the gospel to those that we uh, see who don't believe. And so, um, so this doctrine of eternity, it's very plainly stated in Scripture. And while we who only know what it's like to live in time can't fully wrap our minds around what an eternal existence is like, Uh, It isn't something that's generally created a lot of confusion or controversy for theologians. Now, as we move on to the next attribute, God's immutability, that one, it kind of has. And uh, some of you might have been involved in some of those discussions that have happened. But, um, and honestly, I have a hard time wrapping around, wrapping my head around some of these nuances with this myself, but there are a lot of important things regarding God's immutability that we need to affirm. Uh, it's While it's no less true from Scripture than the eternity of God, it is a little bit less plain, and so um, I want to spend a little more time talking about it, and we'll have hopefully some time for questions and discussion afterward. But the difficulty with God being unchangeable has... Uh, led some theologians to come up with some problematic ideas like suggesting that God uh, takes on certain properties in his dealings with man or um, that he, some have said that he's only immutable with respect to outside influence but that he can change himself in certain ways. Um, but these, we, we need to understand that God's, God is absolutely unchangeable um, and we need to be able to affirm that without qualification, really. Um, because, you know, even though it's not as, as plain to understand, it is still explicitly affirmed in Scripture. Um, could someone read Job 23.13? And can someone else, while they're going there, look up Malachi 3.6 and someone else, uh, James 1.17? 
Malachi 3.6. But someone read Job 23.13 when you get there. But he is unchangeable, and who can turn him back? What he desires, that he does. What he desires, that he does. For he will complete what he has appoints, what he appoints for me. And many such things are in his mind. All right, Malachi 3.6, whoever has that. Because I, the Lord, have not changed, you, descendants of Jacob, have not been destroyed. All right, and then someone who has James 1.17. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. All right, so it is explicitly stated that God is unchanging. Um, and then I'll read this one, Psalm 102, 25 to 17, affirming both the eternity and the immutability of God. It says, of old you laid the foundation of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe and they will pass away. But you are the same and your years have no end. Uh, immutability is also, as, as many theologians point out, made necessary just by the fact that God is infinitely perfect because an infinitely perfect being can only change by becoming less than infinitely perfect. Um, If it could somehow change while remaining as perfect as it is, it would necessarily mean exchanging some measure of of perfection for another, meaning if, if this were true of God, that he lacked some perfection prior to the change and that he lacks some other perfection that he formerly had after the change. Um, but it's, it's still, I think, the reason why um, this is somewhat controversial is because um, there are statements in Scripture, which we must affirm as true because they're in Scripture, that are sometimes uh, held to contradict or at least modify these statements about God being unchanging. So one thing is the incarnation of Christ. We know that Christ is God. Um, and he took on a human nature. Some say, is that, is that not a change in God? Now, Richard's already covered this when he was teaching. But uh, it's important that we hold that uh, the divinity and humanity of Christ are distinct from one another. And this is also why it's important that we distinguish between person and nature. So the divine nature of Christ is never mixed with his human nature. It it never took on human properties, but the person of the Son assumed a human nature. So though the person of Christ became man, God, even though Christ is God, God did not change in any kind of way. Um, I don't know how or Richard or anybody want to add anything or feel like that's clear enough. Thing. Or does anyone else have any questions on, on that? Um, I think we've covered it a good bit in the past already. Um, sounds orthodox. Sounds very <laughs> good. I, I think what Richard ahead. brought out the last time he talked is the distinction between the who versus the what. Yeah. And just making sure. Nature and person. Yeah. The what of God is divinity. He does not change because there's a new whatness of the humanity uh, conjoined a new whatness of the humanity joined to the person. Yeah, That's like yes. I'm glad you remember the phrasing. <laughs> um, so, then, and other objections to this kind of come from uh, some of the narrative passages in Scripture, which do describe God as, for example, 
repenting or changing in his disposition toward creatures in response to things that creatures do. Now, I sort of covered this already back in the first lesson when we went over impassibility. Um, first thing, it's an important interpretive principle that uh, explicit doctrinal statements in Scripture need to take priority over descriptions found in narratives because narratives are often describing God's actions from a human perspective. They're not describing the internal workings of the Godhead. So when, for example, Jonah 3.10 says that God relented or repented of the disaster that he said he would do to the Ninevites and did not do it, it's not contradicting Numbers 23.19, which says, God is not man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind or repent. It's the same Hebrew word both here and in the Jonah 3.10 place. Um, Has he said it and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? So that Numbers 23.19, that's a doctrinal statement affirmation in Scripture Whereas Jonah 3.10, it's, uh, it's a narrative passage. So Numbers 3.19 needs to take interpretive priority when we're uh, looking at these things. Um, God's eternal decree is set in stone, and it will never change. But creatures may change in their relation to God so that a wicked person who is under God's wrath may become a righteous person who has God's favor. Um, God may threaten judgment even though according to his eternal decree, his intention was that that threat would cause repentance so that the judgment would not fall upon the person. Um, So the change then is in the creature. It's not in God, even though from the creature's perspective, God appears to change. Um, I know the Catechism has uh, a lot to say in subsequent questions about God's decree. Uh, whoever's teaching after me will be covering that, and I, I think that will be uh, something to look forward to. But God's immutability, it means that he is perfectly trustworthy. He will keep his word. He will never break his covenant. We humans are unstable. Uh, we've broken the covenant of works. But God has brought us into the covenant of grace, which is unbreakable because he has guaranteed that it will uh, that it will be accomplished. And so we can trust in the promises of God and we can know that if he has said it, he will do it. Um, The goodness and the truth of God are still to come in this series. We'll look at those later. But I think everyone in here believes already and knows that God is good and he is true. And because he is those things and also immutable, he will always only ever be perfectly good and true. Um, Saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Um, And then Psalm 119.60 says, Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You have established the earth, and it stands fast. God will not change. We can trust everything that he has promised to us in the scriptures. Uh, Another thing, immutability of God is predicated of Christ in scripture. This is another proof of the deity of Christ. Of course, uh, we'll be looking at the Trinity uh, maybe in a 
couple months or so, and uh, I'm really looking forward to that. But uh, the fact that Christ is said to be immutable is a proof of that. Um, Hebrews 13.8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Uh, and then Hebrews 1, 10 to 12, quoting from Psalm 102, 25 to 27, which we read earlier, but this time about Jesus saying, And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hand, and they will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe you will roll them up, like a garment they will be changed, but you are the same, and your years will have no end. So that thing which the psalmist said about God in Psalm 102 the author of Hebrews says about Christ in Hebrews 1, 10 to 12. Um, so any, anyone want to say anything else before we close on uh, immutability? I've got a little more to say in closing, but just real quick. Anyone have any questions or comments on that? Uh, just for some uh, soul stirring. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ephesians 6, verse 13 this is talking about uh, the promise that he made to Abraham ultimately being about the messianic promise of the son blessing the world or the nations through, uh, through that. He says for when God made a promise to Abraham since he had no one greater by whom to swear he swore by himself saying surely I bless you multiply and thus Abraham having patiently waited obtained promise and he goes on to give him Explains what, what this really meant. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their dispute, an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. And so by two unchangeable things, his character and his oath, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. And so what we should do here when we see the promises found in Scripture, we need to say, because God said it, it is true, and because God said it, uh, or how should I say this? It's because God, who is truth and unchangeable himself, this is true, but also the mere fact that God has revealed it as such, is that both his character and his promise his, his person and his revelation. When we look at that in the promises of Scripture, we need to take that at face value because there's nothing greater than, uh, than God himself and his word that we can stake our hearts and our souls upon than his promises because that is who our God is by his very nature. There's no greater metaphysical reality than to stake our eternal souls on than what God has revealed in Scriptures and primarily in the person work of Jesus. And so this, that's where immutability really comes in and just grabs us. And really all the mm-hmm. incommunicable attributes is that they grab us and they say, this is good news for your soul. Because if God says this, it is true. Mm-hmm. Period. Yeah, that's a, a good, uh, good scripture tag for this lesson for sure. Thank you. Um, so now we've we've considered these three incommunicable attributes uh, in uh, just a little bit of uh, summary form um, so next time we'll start on the communicable attributes uh, God's wisdom power holiness justice goodness and truth um, don't really know how many weeks we'll spend on all of those but uh, 
and try to try to uh, just look into them and get a just spend some time discussing and come into some a better understanding of them. Um, but remember, as we are looking into the uh, to the communicable attributes, and of course, I'm going to keep bringing this up, but. While we might display them to some degree, only God is perfect in all of those things. So whereas we might have wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth, God is wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. And he is those things infinitely, eternally, and immutably. We have them with limits, and we're subject to gaining or losing measures of them. Um... It, this it, infinity, eternity, and immutability, they're things which our finite minds are too feeble to comprehend. And um, that's something that sets God apart from any gods that we might imagine for ourselves. Um, the sinful tendency of man is to create, God, to create gods out of things that we can see and that we enjoy and to uh, have them exist and, and be defined on our own terms according to our own imaginations and sinful desires and to limit them to what we want them to be. But our God, the true God revealed in scripture is incomprehensible. And he's so far beyond what we are. Uh, he's so far beyond us that we are unable to grasp these things really. And so all we can do is look at his revelation that these things are true and say, Yes, I believe these things are true. But consider that this God who is so far beyond us, that he created us with a purpose for each and every one of us individually. He chose us from the foundation of the world to be his children. He loves and cares for each and every one of us. And not just in a general sense, like a benevolent king toward his subjects, but with a deep personal fatherly love like the love of a father for his children, but taken to the most perfect and infinite degree. And I don't know if that usually hits us as hard as it should. I know it often doesn't for me, but this is what we need to be thinking about when we go into worship here shortly today, but also uh, also daily when we sit in our houses, when we walk by the way, when we lie down and when we rise. Um, and I hope that as we go on in this series that it will perhaps help us help these truths to enter our minds more often and more clearly. So just on what we've got so far in this series, does anyone uh, want to ask any other questions or bring anything else up about all the things up to now that we've talked about? And if not, uh, absolutely. This past week, uh, really just this weekend, I was sick, and ooh, I was sick. Uh, let's just keep it at that. Yeah, not contagious, not contagious. Got ill, just ate something bad, and just didn't hit me though. But I know whenever I'm feeling particularly weak, I'm a little bit more, what should we say, angry. Shorter to use, you say, especially when it comes to your kids. And because of my, just literally my bowels, I get a little bit more irritable with my children. And oftentimes, 
because of my own parenting style, and this is for my parents, and maybe y'all don't feel the same way, but you know how we're taught, and it's right for us to be taught this, is that we should reflect our Heavenly Father in our parenting styles and all that. But this is where the incommunicable attribute should actually tell us this is good news that you are not like God. Right? Mm -hmm. Is that, yes, you need to live up to uh, your responsibility as a father, as a as a mother, whatever else, and loving your children in this way. But you will never be enough for your children. And more so, how you reflect imperfectly to your ch children, that is not what your Heavenly Father does to you. Is that when my children overset bounds, there is an immediate impulse to anger, to almost maybe a vengeance of some kind, especially when I'm weak and tired. But isn't that good news that God our Father is not like that? Is that He is actually perfectly patient with me? Is that He does not respond in cruelty, in uh, selfishness towards me as His child? And that's where I think the incommunicable attributes, these eternal things, are so important for us to reflect upon in our parenting, in our just day-to-day, -day, in our relationships with one another, is oftentimes we like to reflect ourselves up to God, where sometimes that's not appropriate. Really, we need to see how God is utterly unlike us, and that's actually good for our souls. Because as soon as we try to, yes, be the image bearer, uh, reflect who God is in His uh, perfection, but when we see that imperfection in ourselves, it's very easy for us to say, Oh, God is like that to me in my sin. That's not true. God is perfect to you. God is not worthless as you are in your sin. Now, he doesn't go down to your level. He's perfect in all his ways because he's unchangeable. He's unchangeable. He's infinite. He's eternal. And so maybe that's just me having my confession time of being a bad parent this week uh, and telling me that I shouldn't be too much pork anymore. Um, yeah, um, but in, in reality, we do need to take that time of, yes, we need to reflect our Heavenly Father as He is perfect, amen, but also at the same time as we need to recognize for we are not God, and that's actually good news, not only to our eternal souls, but also how we love our family well, because by knowing who God is first and first, who He is in and of Himself, we are able to better appreciate who we can be for our children or to our friends, to our co-workers, etc. Because God is so much better than we are. Just a little thought to keep in mind. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, I appreciate that very much, Hal. Um, I guess, um, Seth, will you close us? Dear Father, we thank you for allowing us to come before you today on your days and worship you and to learn more about you during this hour. Thank you for um, the teaching of John that he has prepared for us, Lord. Thank you. We're thankful for your incommunicable attributes that we have pondered upon this morning. Let us reflect upon those as we go about in worshiping you. Let us consider your infinity and your eternality and your immutability, Lord. How beautiful these things are. How great the God you are to us how this makes your eminence to us, your closeness to us, and the fact that we can know you even more beautiful than the fact that you are um, infinitely eternal and unchangeable, Lord. 
help us relate to each other in light of these things, relate to our families, relate to our fellow church members in these ways, Lord. Help us to worship you during this time. May you bless us. May you receive all the glory.